Well, praise the Lord, everybody. I am Evangelist Janice Nelson, and I want to welcome you to season two of Broken Vessels, Mended and Whole, a weekly women's Bible study podcast. Today is Sabbath Sunday, June 5th, the year of our Lord, 2022. In this Bible study podcast, we address various issues that break the spirit of women and then seek to promote women's spiritual wholeness and well-being with lessons learned from the Word of God. Ladies, when you are at your lowest and life casts you aside, do you ask, what is God like? This is an unanswerable question because God is in a category of his own, and there is nothing we can compare him to. When we talk about God, the only way we can do so is by analogy, which is always inadequate. Less directly, we can speak of God in accordance to what he has done. We can say that God is the creator of heaven and earth, or we can say that God is our savior through the work of Jesus Christ. In our text today, the psalmist describes God by analogy and by what he has done, all the while knowing that God can never be adequately described. When we come back, we're going to examine Psalm 113 and remind ourselves that no one is like the Lord our God. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Broken Vessels, Mended and Whole. Today, we are talking about and reminding ourselves that there is no one like the Lord our God. Our scripture reading is taken from Psalms 113, verses 1 through 9, and I will be reading from the New International Version of the Bible if you want to follow along with the scripture reading. Now, beginning in Psalm 119 at verse one, the word of God says, praise the Lord, praise him, you who serve the Lord, praise the name of the Lord. Let us praise the name of the Lord, both now and forever. From the sunrise in the east to the sunset in the west, may the name of the Lord be praised. The Lord is honored over all the nations. He, his glory reaches to the highest heavens. Who is like the Lord, our God? He sits on his throne in heaven. He bends down to look at the heavens and the earth. He raises poor people up from the trash pile. He lifts needy people out of the ashes. He causes them to sit with princes. He causes them to sit with the princes of his people. He gives children to the women who doesn't have any children. He makes her a happy mother in her own home. Praise the Lord. Wow. 
May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and to the hearing of his word. Amen. Lady Psalm 113 is a summons to praise God and a beautiful example of what our praise of God should be. It begins and ends with the phrase, praise the Lord. And the first of his three stanzas repeatedly calls on all the servants of God to extol him, which is what the remaining two stanzas do. There is emphasis on the name of God in the first stanza where the word name appears three times, once in each verse. But unfortunately, today, names do not have much significance. We are more a number than a name, and names have become nothing more than convenient tags for identifying people or things. However, in the ancient Bible or in ancient Bible times, names meant a great deal because a person's name disclosed something about the character of the person bearing the name. Also, in some cases, a person's name was believed to be a sign about a person's destiny. So to give a person a bad name was tantamount to cursing them. And to be told a person's name meant you were being brought into that person's confidence and friendship. In the case of God, the name of the Lord is all important because it has to do with the revelation of who God is. It is not just any God we are to worship, but rather we are to praise the one true Lord who has revealed himself in creation on Mount Sinai and more recently in the person of his own son, Jesus of Nazareth. So let's unpack Psalm 113. Ladies, it was on Mount Sinai that the name Jehovah was revealed to Moses. And Psalm 113 is emphasizing the importance of this name, which is found five times in the opening stanza, which includes the opening, praise the Lord. There has been a lot of debate around the meaning of this name, this called, called the tetragrammation or tetragrammaton, meaning four letters, the consonants, yod, he, wa, ha, written Yahweh. And the problem comes from the fact that the Jews considered the name to be too holy to pronounce. Therefore, the normal Hebrew vowel pointing uh, points to that in, uh, excuse me, the normal Hebrew vowel pointings that indicate how a word should be understood and pronounced were omitted. And as a result, no one today knows how it was pronounced. However, the greater problem is how Yahweh is to be understood as I am, or I will be, or he who causes to be, or he who brings into existence. The only place in the Bible where Yahweh is explained is in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, which says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. 
This verse is reinforced by several New Testament scriptures found in Matthew chapter 22, verse uh, 32, Mark chapter 12, verse 26, and John chapter 8, verse 5, which says, Verily, verily, I tell you, Jesus answered before Abraham was born, I am. The important I am in John's gospel seems to show that this simple meaning is preferable. I am who I am, or I will be what I will be. Although derived from the most basic of all forms and expressed in the simplest verbal form, Yahweh expresses a wealth of God's attributes. First, God is a person who makes known his name to Moses by speaking directly to him. God is a divine person who has created and who uh, communicates with persons made in his image. It is because God is a person, actually three persons, as the doctrine of the Trinity affirms, that we can know and fellowship with him. Secondly, God is self-existent, having no origins and is therefore answerable to no one. In order to know something, we have to determine its origins, how it came into being, what caused it. But God has no origins. Nothing caused him or explains him. For this reason, we cannot know God except as he reveals himself to us. And even then, we do not know God in himself. We only know him to the extent that he compares himself to us and to the finite things we know. Third, God is self-sufficient, meaning he has no needs. He does not need human beings. He did not need to create us. And having created us, he does not need us for anything. However, he graciously uses us to carry out his plans, just as he used Moses to deliver Israel from Egypt and Pharaoh. But he did not need Moses any more than he needs us. He does not need helpers or defenders or worshipers. We contribute nothing to God. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 9, John the Baptist says, And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. When we realize that God is the only self-sufficient one, we will come to understand why the Bible speaks so much about the need for faith in God alone and why unbelief in God is such a terrible sin. If we refuse to trust God, what we are saying is that something or some person is more trustworthy, which is a slander against God's character. Fourth, God is the eternal I am, just as his name states. This means he is everlasting or perpetual. This means that God has always been and will always be, and he is always the same in his eternal being. This attribute is beyond our comprehension because we live in time and cannot think apart from the categories of space and time. Nevertheless, it is a comfort to the believer because God has set eternity in our hearts. 
Fifth, God is unchangeable, immutable, meaning he never differs from himself. He is the same today as he was yesterday, and he will be the same tomorrow because the one who is what he is does not evolve. God's immutability has two important consequences for us. First, God can be trusted to remain as he reveals himself to be. He will always be sovereign, holy, wise, gracious, just, compassionate, and everything else he has revealed himself to be. And God is inescapable. He will not go away. We may try to ignore him now, but if we reject him now, we will have to reckon with him in the life to come. Verses one through three of our text says, praise the Lord. Praise him, you who serve the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Let us praise the name of the Lord, both now and forever. From the sunrise in the east to the sunset in the west, may the name of the Lord be praised. These verses call the servants of the Lord to praise him from the rising of the sun to the place where it sets. Then in verse four, which says, the Lord is honored over all the nations. His glory reaches to the highest heavens. The Psalm turns to the praise of God directly, extolling him as the one who is exalted over all the nations and whose glory is above the heavens. Verses three and four are parallel almost exactly in Malachi chapter one, verses 11, near the end of the Old Testament, which says, my name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where it sets. And every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. Verse five is the middle of our Psalm 113 text, and it is the theme of this poem. Who is like the Lord our God? This question is often asked in the Old Testament. The prophet Micah asked this question in Micah chapter 7, verse 18, which says, who is the Lord like you? Who is a Lord like you? Who pardons sin and forgives the transgressions of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but the light to show mercy. Micah is amazed that this great incomparable God forgives sin. What amazes the psalmist is that God is exalted so high that he has to stoop low to see not only the earth, but the heavens. And at the same time, he cares for the lowly. H.C. Leopold said this, he said, he has done two things each of which seems to make the other impossible. He has taken his seat on high that no one can match him. Yet he has regard for the lowliest of the low and that he looks down so far. When we read of God stooping down to look on the heavens and the earth, it is hard to think of the Tower of Babel. Genesis 11, Genesis 11 tells the story of the people of the day deciding they would build a tower to reach to the heavens. 
then or when God took notice of what they were doing, the Bible says he had to come down from far above to see it. That is because anything human is infinitely beneath the infinity or the infinite exalted God. Yet Psalms 13 goes beyond that comparison when it says that God has to stoop to see not only the earth, but the heavens as well. This means that even the most exalted, wonderful, and glorious parts of creation are far beneath the creator. The New Testament goes beyond this Psalms when it describes how Jesus not only looked down on us to see us in our misery, sin, and sorrow, but also actually came down to us to lift us up. Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 8 says it this way. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. There is nothing more marvelous or more incomprehensible than Jesus' humiliation for our sake. And so we may well say, who is like the Lord our God? The answer is, no one is like the Lord our God. The last stanza of Psalm 113 tells us that God stoops down in order to lift up the downtrodden. Even more, he lifts them to be as he is. Verses 7 and 8 says, he raises poor people up from the trash pile. He lifts needy people out of the ashes. He causes them to sit with princes. He causes them to sit with the princes of his people. Can you see the parallel between this last stanza and verse four through six, which says, the Lord is honored over all the nations. His glory reaches to the highest heavens. Who is like the Lord, our God? He sits on his throne in heaven. He bends down to look at the heavens and the earth. And verses four through six, God is exalted over the nations and he exalts the poor, <coughs> excuse me, the poor by rising, raising them from the dust. Then in verse seven and eight, God is enthroned on high. So he raises the poor to sit with princes. Verses seven and eight are reminiscent of the song of Hannah and first Samuel chapter two, verse eight, where Hannah being childless prayed for a son and was given one by God. Her son became the prophet Samuel and his song is a song of the praise of God for his goodness and giving her a child. This, these verses are also echoed later at a higher level in Mary's Magnificat in Luke chapter 1 verses 46 through 55 in anticipation of the birth of her son who was Jesus Christ. This psalm 
113, verse 9, ends on a reference to God's provision for the barren woman. Verse 9 says, he gives children to the women or the woman who doesn't have any children. He makes her a happy mother in her own home. This is the whole point of our Psalm 113 text. What is most praiseworthy about God is that although he is infinitely exalted above everything, including the heavens, he nevertheless stooped to raise the poor from the dust, the needy from the ash heap, and even the barren woman from the disgrace of barrenness brought to her or on her in ancient times. This psalm ends by saying, praise the Lord. We praise him because he has saved us from our sins. Not everyone has the experience in life of being raised from the dust to a throne or from an ash heap to sit with princes. But all who are saved by Christ are lifted from the pigsty of this decadent world to sit with Jesus in glory and rule with him. In our sin, you and I have been the lowest of the low, but God has raised us up one by one through faith in Jesus Christ. Has that been your experience? Do you know Jesus as your own personal Savior and Lord? We raise or we praise God because he rescues us when we are cast down. Society generally regards the downtrodden as a collective mass, but they are individual people who have suffered specific defeats and setbacks. God knows each of these persons individually, and he knows you, Luke says, by the very according to the very hairs on your head. So God clearly cares for you and for me, and he knows exactly what you are suffering and is able to do something about it. He is able to lift you up and sit you with princes. This Psalm 113 should give us great encouragement when we are at our lowest, when life cast us aside, because this is when we should turn to God, who is able to lift us up, if only we trust him to do it, and then do as the psalmist does. Praise the Lord, because no one is like the Lord, our God. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Broken Vessels, Mended and Whole. If this ministry has been a blessing to you and you want to support it, we have several ways in which you can do that. First, via the Tidely app at Broken Vessels, Mended and Whole. Second, at Givelify, G-I-V-E-L-I-F-Y dot com. You may donate to Broken Vessels hyphen Mended and Whole. Or 
You may mail whatever gifts of love you feel led to give to Broken Vessels, Mended and Whole. We are a 501c3 nonprofit religious organization located at P.O. Box 34637, Los Angeles, California, 90034. Join me next week for another episode of Broken Vessels, Mended and Whole. And don't forget to check in with me on Facebook Live at Evangelist Janice, that's J-A-N-I-S, Nelson today at 12 noon Pacific Daylight Time. In the meantime, take good care and may God continue to bless you. Amen.